Hosted by Jason Bryan and providing the latest insights on telecoms trends from around the world. This is Rocco Radio. You're listening to Eureka, brought to you by Rocco Radio in association with the Innovators Research 2020. These days, the temperature is rising on the need for more innovative wholesale international roaming processes. And right now, there's no clearer opportunity for improving the roaming supply chain than DLTs and blockchain. If you think about it, the SDR is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies. So what more can be done with processes, many of which are over two decades old, to make it easier for the ecosystem to become more efficient? Speaking with associations, operators, vendors and professionals outside of our media industry, Rocco is trying to learn what other industries are using blockchain for and how it might help us. Which is why, on a recent trip to Australia, I was lucky enough to meet Moira Sherry, lecturer and researcher of operations and supply chain management at the University of Technology in Sydney. In her interview, Moira describes her career path and how it led to her current role at UTS and confirmed how it seems certain blockchain will have a strong role to play on our industry in the future. When you've got that sort of economics behind a technology, it's only time that, that it will take off, time and leadership. And I think this is the one of the biggest challenge is organisations are implementing it for themselves, but actually what we need is leadership to, to bring it, the whole supply chain um, together. Well, it's a real pleasure to be here in Sydney, Australia, at the UTS, University of Technology, Sydney. My first time in Australia. And such a pleasure to meet Moira Sherry, as in the drink, yes. she, she told me, <laughs> who is uh, a PhD lecturer, Operations and Supply Chain Management. Yeah. Hi, Moira. Hi, Jason. Um, thanks for um, yeah, interviewing me. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. I'm very excited to be in, uh, interviewing my first university professor, actually. <laughs> and uh, especially since your background is on blockchain, and that's very, very exciting for our industry. So before we get into that, can you tell me something more about you and your background? Yeah, sure. So I actually came to, um, to academia from industry. I spent the majority of my career in the travel and tourism industry uh, as a practitioner in that sector, and then moved across to IT and was uh, responsible for large-scale industry and global changes in technology uh, for the travel and tourism industry. My love for technology sort of started there, and I've carried that forward into you know my PhD and, and the work that I'm doing, the research work that I'm doing here at the university. So when, w when would that have been then, when you started in that industry? Ooh, I started in the industry <laughs> uh, some time ago, maybe 30 years ago. Wow. Uh, I finished my PhD in 2015, so um, right. yeah, almost four, well, four years now. So. so what made you make the change to academia? Um, interesting, because I used to go out and sell technology and you know, the, all of the things with technology, you'll increase your productivity, you'll have cost reduction, you know, efficiencies. But I saw that the change process was sometimes quite long 
And so I couldn't really put my hand on my heart to say, well, you know, you'll get these, you know, you'll invest this amount of money and get this, you know, get this return on investment within this period of time. So I decided that I would research productivity in service and network-based firms. Um, and, def- uh, you know, my, my research was predominantly about measuring intangibles and um, how do we convert some measures so that we can, we can understand what happens in the virtual space and in the service space. Um, so that was my interest. I often dream about being, you know, an educator, and it's, uh, it's a very worthy and it's very nice feeling I would expect to have uh, to, to move from, let's say, an industry where, you know, everybody's just thinking about making money to, to one where we're thinking about how we can influence people and, and how they will evolve and change the world in the future. Yeah, I'd, uh, I've always taught um, right through my career, so um, always did sort of practical teaching. So I worked in the uh, vocational education sector um, to teach sort of practical skills. And now having transitioned to, you know, industry where I taught people skills and knowledge that existed. But now in academia where you actually create knowledge and get to diffuse that is yeah, quite exciting. So okay. exciting for me anyway. So can you tell us a, a couple of things that you're working on at the moment to, to give us a feel for what your role is? Yeah, sure. So I guess my research has now been, I guess, around the digital, uh, you know, new technologies in industry. Sort of three distinct projects that I'm working with and I work with a team of researchers as well is looking at additive manufacturing, so 3D printing, and what's the impact of 3D printing on the supply chain of medical and surgical devices. Another one is looking at remote monitoring or remote patient monitoring and what impact that could have on redesigning the um, health system and unlocking some of the uh, potential that's in there, particularly with you know pharmacies being able to take on uh, much more of a preventative role and a proactive role rather than a reactive uh, role and uh, changing their business models. And then, of course, there's blockchain. You know, I've been looking at uh, cryptocurrency and what's the impact of a crypt- cryptocurrency for being able to provide a global supply chain currency rather than currencies that are bound by national borders. Uh, so that's one thing. And also, what's the impact of blockchain in, in specific industry verticals? So you know, we're looking at beef ledger, um, things like fast consumer goods, fast moving consumer goods, and health services, and hopefully um, telcos. <laughs> so how did you get started in blockchain then? Because you know, it's a it's a very buzzy topic, isn't it? You hear about it and you think, well, my first impression is you think of cryptocurrencies and you think then, oh, is this something that's is really going to be sustainable? How did you get into blockchain? Yeah, so in my industry career, I actually um, set up an electronic payment system for the travel and tourism industry. So payment, international payments specifically, were dear to my heart. We were looking to streamline payments. So Australia, in fact, was one of the first uh, markets back in 1999. Uh, an Australian travel company used the electronic funds transfer to be able to direct debit travel agents and um, credit their suppliers. So from that perspective, they were one of the first companies, I think, globally uh, to be able to bring a two-sided market together. In 2000, it went from that organisation to become an industry-wide payment solution. And so there was lots of changes in terms of security, making it a much more open system rather than a a closed network. 
um, based uh, payment solution. And I was very involved in that. And we then, we became part of Amadeus. And Amadeus is a global technology company. And they were interested in the technology and how it might be able to facilitate international payments. So a group of, you know, some technologists, um, bankers. I worked with some bankers at Citibank. And, you know, Money Direct was the name of the business. So we actually developed an electronic payment system where we could facilitate efficient and cost-effective payments for international. So we used, we leveraged each of the local banking networks and we would do things like netting and netting of payments and Mm. um, bulking of payments and transferring to different markets and things like that. So... What started off as a bit of an experiment, you know, we sort of built a business model around payments um, that we, we thought would be low, low value, uh, payments of around $250. The average payment transaction ended up being $3,500. So we could see that the whole thing had huge potential. And so once cryptocurrency came in, it was like, well, you know, why, why couldn't cryptocurrency um, provide a, a similar sort of solution to an industry for being able to um, facilitate those payments? And also the travel industry is not, you know, when we calculate airfares, we calculate airfares using uh, what we call neutral units of construction. And so there's already a mechanism in place to be able to have this virtual currency per se, uh, to be able to facilitate and that's what the airlines use to facilitate payments between themselves, irrespective of which, you know, which airline, which country, etc. So the whole notion of having a, a global payment system or a virtual um, payment system or currency for an industry was not um, outside my realm of, of understanding. And so it's like, well, if that can happen for one industry, why can't it happen for uh, other industries such as food and beverage or um, you know, anything really? Yeah, as, you, as you're talking, I'm thinking <laughs> that's especially relevant to the industry that we work in, in telecoms and, and roaming. So what kind of challenges did you face in trying to introduce that? There's recently been some stabilization of cryptocurrencies. There's been some standardization. Were those challenges that you faced? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is people's understanding of cryptocurrency. And a lot of people see cryptocurrency as an asset rather than a currency. And so, you know, bridging the gap between that understanding of, you know, the the price is going up, so it's either an asset because you want to hold it and not transact it, uh, is, is a challenge. But once we actually put that aside and said, let's just look at a currency that is developed and accepted by an industry where the, the whole purpose is to facilitate the transactions, um, then it's easy uh, because it has a specific purpose and it, the purpose is actually about the the transfer of the information rather than the, um, the the value of the currency itself. It's just the it's just a facilitator of information at that point. So that was a challenge to to be able to explain to people, and and also one one other thing is is there enough knowledge and resources in the blockchain world? At the moment, would you say is it still is it challenging or? Yeah, I I don't think there's enough um, either knowledge or resources uh, to to no. scale it up. We're just seeing organisations either experiment with blockchain, and we've run a number of case studies in the food and beverage sector where we can see people are using it for a specific purpose. So they might experiment to look at 
you know, transparency, or they might look at it to overcome, you know, fraud, or they, you know, so yeah. that each organisation has a specific um, strategy or a goal for implementing um, imp- implementing blockchain. Whereas if we had an industry or a large organisation, we refer to as a focal firm, bringing the industry along with a specific implementation, then we would see the industry move much quicker in, in, in that direction. Bearing in mind what you just said, what kind of recommendations would you have for companies who are starting now to to consider how they should be involved in blockchain? Well, I would think that uh, an organisation who has some sort of influence in an industry should in fact take the lead and uh, look at bringing the industry forward and take that sort of leadership role for that supply chain and you know, I mean, we've seen it before with uh, Walmart taking the lead with the implementation of RFID technology. So there are already precedents out there. We actually just need the leadership to step up and say, well, OK, this is the direction that, uh, you know, we want our supply chain to move in and work across the supply chain to, to move everyone together to make it a reality, I guess. Yeah, so in our industry, I think that's where it's it's starting to happen, that a lot of companies are thinking in private that they need to explore it and I guess some mobile operators are also also doing that. Governments, I heard recently that pretty much the whole of Estonia is using blockchain already. So these are these are very positive stories. Does it seem to you that it's inevitable that that processes will move to blockchain? Oh, absolutely. I mean I think the efficiencies that they that they can deliver and I'll just give you an example in the research that we did was we just developed a number of scenarios, simple scenarios. Let's have a look if somebody transfers $50,000 to an international market every week. So they transfer one week in one currency, transfer it back the other. Over a year, it cost them 94%, right? Mm. So by the time they paid their, you know, the spread on the international transaction, the bank fees, that whole amount was virtually um, taken up in bank fees. So when you've got that sort of economics behind a technology, it's only time that, that it will take off, time and leadership. And I think this is the, one of the biggest challenge is organisations are implementing it for themselves, but actually what we need is leadership to, to bring it, the whole supply chain um, together because it's the supply chain efficiency that's really going to deliver um, the benefits uh, in terms of cost so yeah, just uh, an organisational change is maybe good for experimentation and learning, but for it to gain a r- uh, real impact, it's it's the supply chain um, that needs to be connected. And which industries would you say we should look at who are leading in blockchain development right now? Is it the banks? Is it financial sectors? Yeah, we actually have, um, in Australia, we've got a, a number of, uh, the cotton industry is, cotton industry, Commonwealth Bank, um, Wells Fargo Bank and some organisations in China using the Internet of Things, blockchain, smart contracts. They've brought together a range of technologies uh, as a prototype, but it's you know it's not a prototype anymore. It's it's working. Um, so they're sort of in, embedding that, being able to facilitate what we refer to as a distributed autonomous organisation. So organisations that run on computer codes basically with um, smart contracts and and blockchain underpinning um, most of that. One thing that I guess people are thinking about because this is so new and there's so much transparency in public blockchains, for example, is the privacy issue. 
And then, of course, when you think of privacy, you immediately think of the regulations which a country has. From an Australian perspective, have those been challenges in this market, would you say? Yeah, they have, and it's something that the government has been looking at. And the government actually set up a, a digital group, and, and that government digital group is, is merged now with the um, Blockchain Association. So those two things are coming together. But when I, uh, and you know, my, my interest is not, necess- not so much in the consumer side of things, more in the business to business, you know, connections yeah. and, and where efficiencies can be gained there. And if we use cryptocurrency as an example, or virtual currencies as an example, in the past, the transaction, because it's locked up in a bank and you've got access to all your bank account details and things like that, w- was under lock and key. But if we look at the cryptocurrency being a facilitator of information, and that's on the blockchain, all you're doing is seeing whether this transaction has been paid or not. You don't have access to all of the other aggregated information. It's not secure. It's just simply, you know, here is an exchange of goods. Has the associated payment been facilitated, been paid or not? So it will fundamentally change the way that that information is shared sort of information it's shared, the purpose that it's shared for, and also where in the organisation that information processing belongs. If it's a payment, a traditional bank payment, it belongs with your accounting and finance. If it's a piece of information, just like an order process or a a purchase order, it belongs with the operations people. And so we're actually going to see a lot of the change move from one part of the, you know, a lot of the processing move from one part of the organisation to another part of the organisation, and that's a disruptive element within businesses. So in terms of UTS, what's your say, vision for blockchain and how you can support it and in the coming years? Um, I've worked at the intersection of different industries. So when I was in the travel and tourism industry, I bought in IT. When I was, I also bought in payments and IT. So always at the intersection of different industries. And I think here I can play the same sort of role where yeah. we've got education um, across the different industry sectors, be it the cryptocurrency or the payments versus each of the industry verticals that we're currently working in. So we've sort of got a bit of a structure that we can leverage our learning from one industry and transport it to another, um, etc. So sort of you know, doing that cross-pollination. Yeah. Yeah. So bearing in mind all of this experience that you've gathered in this area, any recommendations that you would have to individuals who want to to learn more about blockchain? Um, I think pick an area that you want to focus on, like an application of blockchain, be it transparency or um, you know, fraud detection or you know yeah. crypto payments, whatever it is, and uh, f- focus on one industry to get the depth of knowledge in that area and then it becomes transportable to other industries. So um, take a very fine line uh, or a thin th- thin thread um, and just focus on that because otherwise it can be, um, you know, you could find yourself all over the place yeah. Yeah, with, the, with the opportunities. So. And one final question. What do you wish that you would have known before you started out along this blockchain path? Um, yeah, I think it's that difference that, um, you know, Whilst it's called a cryptocurrency, it was it was a, an you know it's being treated as an asset. So sort yeah. of building that bridge between you know is it, uh, it is what it's called really what it is, 
So we started off going, oh, it's a currency, but then actually uh, it's not wasn't being transacted and it's very different. So uh, you know, just sort of getting that understanding took some time and I could have fast-tracked that, that, I think. Yeah, Yeah. I see. Maria, it's been a real pleasure and an inspiration to talk to you. I Thank think you. that, you know, this is such a new area for our industry and there's, like you say, very few real uh, professionals who are digging into it and really let's say enthusiastic right now, but I think there will be. Yeah. And uh, guidance like yours is extremely helpful to us. So thank you very much for yeah. your time. Pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look out for more Eureka podcasts in the coming weeks. If you're an MNO, you might be interested in taking part in our Innovators 2020 research where you get the opportunity to rate vendors on their product and service innovation. It's quick and easy to complete the confidential survey and cast your vote on which vendors are innovating the most. Until next time, this is Jason Bryan and you've been listening to Eureka from Rocker Radio.